0: The doctor
1: is in. All right. Well, he's not in yet. We're working on it. He's out of the country, and you know, I can try and actually uh, reach him out, reach out to him, Super Don, on my uh, Skype thing, and try to log <laughs> it all in. I don't know if it'll work though. That's the thing. We're,
0: we're trying all kinds of different things here. Let me see if I can grab him here. Uh, uh, sing, sing a couple of bars of uh, Neil Diamond here while I'm doing this.
1: No, I can't do that. Here, hold on, ben, Let me. Uh, I've got the line input. I'm gonna no, try I, got, me... I think I got him
0: here. Hold on. You got him?
1: Okay. No, we
0: let's see. Rasha Batar, got gotcha, you okay. <laughs> let's see. We're going to add him to the group call. Like, this is, this, this is uh, cool stuff here.
1: It's just like at Dr. Batar. to forget. He goes out of town and is like, wait a second. You mean, oh, yeah, we got a radio show to do. I'm, bu- I'm, I'm busy. Here. Is he there? I sort of hear him in the distance. I am here. <laughs> I hear him. Just, yeah, boost his level if you can, Super Don, and we'll we'll, we'll get started. Uh, I don't even know what part of the planet that uh, Doctor Batar is on, but I'm glad we could reach out to him and get him in.
0: Batar will have to boost his level on his end because I can't do it manually from here. Oh, you can't okay. crank it up
1: further.
2: I'm uh, at maximum volume here.
1: He's maxed out. Well, all right. Um, there is there is a um, a place in the, in that Skype to be able to modify his levels. Wow! Just a matter okay. of finding it. You know, it uh, does exist in show and preferences, Skype preferences. Here we are doing the stuff live on the air. And Doctor Patron, I don't know if you're free to reveal where you are on planet Earth right now, but I'm I'm barely in my body.
2: I'm I'm actually in Central America right now.
1: Oh, cool. Well, warm maybe. I was just in Las Vegas. I uh, went to the ACAM conference, which I know you you participated in many many years ago. Uh, those doctors are, you know, tr- a lot of them are trying to do the right thing, but there's been so much infighting in that organization over the years, it kind of hampers its its growth and, and, you know, people's access to good good docs are trying to do right.
2: Yeah, it's uh, unfortunate. Uh, ACAM's, uh, the, the premise behind the organization was great. Um, I was the last fellow, uh, well, at least as far as I know, I was the last person who was granted fellowship status with that organization back in, it's been about 15 years in 1999, but I have not been to a conference in quite a few years now.
1: Great, super Don. It sounds like you boosted Dr. Patar's volume. I can hear him better.
0: I don't. I don't know what okay. I. D- yes. Okay. Fine. I'll take credit for it. I did indeed. Yes. Well, you did something.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Matt did it. All right. You know. Our. our- humble and lovable ward op at gcn tonight so yeah i don't know if you have any stories to tell we certainly got a few few items in the news that i think would be worthwhile discussing uh today dr batar because i know how it is you just uh in the midst of these travel trips sometimes uh you know you never know if you have stories to t- to share i shared a few stories from las vegas last hour and why i'm so tired <laughs> no nope, and no, no i'm not in stories. trouble <laughs> No interesting stories. All right. Deb, everything's yeah, Central good. Central America is right. pretty boring this time of year.
2: Yeah, no, nothing that I want to share on the radio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. All right. Oh, so he ha- No, no, he has stories, but he's not going to share them. That's what it is. Uh I'm
2: right. Um, right, yeah, exactly. my my wife's over here with me, so it's it's uh she's trying to keep me out of trouble, but uh oh, no, there's really nothing
1: good.
2: Nothing um n- relevant to health and wellness that i know of that I can
1: share with you. <laughs> all right i will i will tell you an interesting story popped up on the radar uh, the associated press which is you know associated propaganda but it's a mainstream news organization they covered a big story they actually did some investigation uh about the national vaccine injury compensation program the the, the court the kangaroo unconstitutional court and they found that there's, you know, a backlog, sometimes years of people trying to get compensated for vaccine injury. And now that the flu shot has become more regularly pushed each year, we're seeing more adults learning about this program. That's the only way they can maybe get compensation for being harmed by the vaccines.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate that it takes them so long. And I think that's part of the strategy, you know, to wear people down. So it takes so long for them to even get the case heard and by the time they do. Uh, In some cases, as you said, I mean, these children are no longer children, they're adults. And we've actually had a patient like that, that I think he's 28 years old right now, and they're still waiting uh, for a hearing before the Vaccine Injury Board.
1: Incredible. And also, they're also talking about just adults, you know, that are going into the same court when we think it's all about kids. But in fact, many adults like... Uh, you know like when we covered the Desiree Jennings all those years ago I mean in theory I suppose there's no limitation on that uh, vaccine injury compensation court for an adult to say hey I was injured by a vaccine and I want compensation as well
2: yeah I don't know how that works I, I assume that it would be relevant to anybody who's been injured by a vaccine irrespective of their age but at least in my mind the connotation was always with the pediatric population
1: yeah and i think initially that's where you know the parents were looking at the kids being harmed and perhaps the adults were less obviously impacted because of a lot of reasons developmentally and otherwise but now as we see these adults even w- whether they were children now adults coming through or just adults that have been hammered for many years succumbing to these annual flu in vac- vaccinations that they are now flooding the compensation court program And they're saying it's very problematic and and it's not getting any better.
2: Yeah, I've had a couple of young girls, three girls actually, that were super athletes, honor students. They're juniors in high school, sophomores in high school, just fantastic grades, fantastic athletes all around, great uh, individuals volunteering and just doing all sorts of great things and high achievers, And uh, Mm -hmm. after getting the Gardasil vaccine, um, just dropping completely. I mean, it was like a precipitous going off the cliff type of nosedive. Academics dropped, uh, fatigue, pain, fogginess, uh, coordination issues, uh, general malaise, and, um, you know, no ability to concentrate. Uh, Forget about athletics. They can barely get up and get out of bed drastic, drastic changes. And these are, again, you know, 16, 17-year-old girls. And uh, it's it kind of falls into that. They're, they're obviously not pediatrics. They're adolescents. They're almost mm-hmm. young adults now. So, yeah, it, it definitely affects everybody. And this was, again, something that their parents thought it was good because of the marketing angles, you know, prevention, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we talked about this all on the air a couple of months back where now they're recommending mm-hmm. – that boys should even get this vaccine uh, because they're the carriers, and I mean it's just it just becomes insult to injury. You know, it just becomes absurd. Sure. On
1: well, we we so. keep hearing, Doctor Batar, that there may be four hundred, five hundred, or more vaccines in development down the pipeline because their perception, of course, is that that's their big money. You know, if you were given uh, license to produce a product and then absolved of any liability, should somebody be injured by that product? You know and then it would be mandated in in theory or in practice for use for purchase I mean who wouldn 't go into that business except someone with a conscience you know because there there 's no incentive to obviously make a good, safe product that works when you have no downside to whatever you put out there on the market i mean it 's just an absurd thing, and I think people are starting to catch up to it more and more and more, even the New York Times just came out with a story acknowledging. The polio vaccine causing polio like paralysis. And they're calling it a mutating polio vaccine. I'd never heard of a vaccine referred to in the New York Times as a mutating vaccine.
2: Yeah, you know, they'll come up with different terminology. But, you know, for those that say that this is all conspiratorial in nature, if you stand and look at a wall, and in that wall you draw uh, on one side, the vaccine program and how they've been absolved of all all injuries. And on the other side, you'd look at natural substances. Just pick anything. For example, uh, you can pick saw palmetto. Actually, B17. Look at laitrile, okay, amygdalin. B17, which is apricot seeds. And you look at that. Now, you put this on both the different extremes and vaccines, which we know what they do. They've got all sorts of poisons in them, DNA adducts and mutated lines and formaldehyde and nickel and mercury, et cetera, et cetera. And on the other side, you're looking at something that God created as a seed from a fruit. And you see mm-hmm. how the seed from the fruit has been ostracized, demonized, and then made illegal. And yet the man-made substance that's mutated, got all sorts of mutated components in it and poisons in it, and that it's caused millions of injuries, that's protected. So anybody who says this is conspiratorial, you know, how do you explain pure, simple observation. This is like one plus one equals two. How do you explain that? And actually now, Robert, that I've kind of warmed up here, you know, you said, do I have any stories? I actually do have a story unrelated to this that I do want to bring up. Maybe we'll do that in a second. Sure. second
1: yeah, yeah. We got a couple of minutes before our first break, so let's, let's continue just talking briefly about this uh, issue. There was another thing that we covered, which was fascinating that, you know, again, this is coming out. Uh, Mississippi has the highest vaccine rate in the nation, infant vaccine rate, 99.7%. I mean, there's no religious exemption. You want to talk about, that's basically 100%. And being number one in that category, you'd think you'd have the healthiest kids in the nation based on those who worship vaccines. But it turns out they're number one in the nation in, guess what? Infant mortality.
2: Oh, infant mortality, yeah.
1: Yeah, whooping cough and...
2: Vaccines and all those; those are all SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Those are all related to vaccines. And um, the Geyers actually, the, the David and uh, Mark Geier, were actually part of the team that helped to develop, uh, develop some of those vaccines. And they're also the ones that actually exposed the relationship between the whooping cough and the pertussis vaccine. Um, I believe it was the live cell vaccine that they found the direct correlation between the incidence of SIDS. Um, I don't remember exactly which version of the whooping cough vaccine, but it was it was one of those. I think it was a lifestyle one.
1: Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, if you've got you've got number one in in vaccine, uh, let's say compliance, you know that 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 should be lauded according to the health authorities, medical authorities, et cetera. Yet, simultaneously, they're number one in infant mortality. I, I think you know if anybody's got a brain left, if they're not so totally intoxicated with fluoride, mercury, et cetera, this vaccine ruse i think in our lifetime it's gonna it's going to end there's just only so much that they can continue to do to keep this charade going
2: yeah and their arsenal from where they can pull is rapidly dwindling so i agree with you and with some of the things that dr hooker and his group have uh, started to expose and some of the other things that are coming down the pipeline it'll be interesting to see what happens
1: Well, we'll continue to cover that, of course, with Dr. Batar. He is the author of the international best selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Still bummed that my Aunt Ruthie took my copy. Thanks a lot. He made it so good, she couldn't resist. Go get it. We'll be back with Dr. Batar. He's around the world, and he's here on The Robert Scott Bell Show. More at robertscottbell.com. Stay with us. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bilson All right each week Dr. Bittar joins us for some advanced medicine. You can always go to MedicalRewind.com. Hundreds of hours of podcasts available for you for free with information that is so valuable. It's, a, it's extraordinary what's available to you. So uh, thank you to Dr. Batar for being with us as well, always. And uh, environmental mercury, mercury in syringes, I mean, the patient's still coming in or have they wised up?
2: Uh, patients still coming in because they've wised up. I don't understand.
1: I'm just wondering if, if they're still coming in for the same, you know, v- vaccine accumulation type injuries, uh, you know, even if, even if they aren't vaccinated. The fact is there's so many exposure routes.
2: Yeah, I mean, most people don't know that they've got a vaccine issue. And it's not always a vaccine issue. I mean, it's an environmental issue, as you as you correctly pointed out. Uh, vaccine, I think, is one of the burdens that are added to the rest of the burden. So it's really more like the straw that broke the camel's back type of thing, especially since uh, a lot of times the children were damaged by the vaccine that was given to them. But the beginning... Portion of the damage started when they were in utero, when the mother was getting vaccines. But a lot of people, though, Robert, they come in and they don't—they don't come in complaining of vaccines or they don't come in complaining of mercury. They come in because they've got a problem. I mean, the New England Journal of Medicine, which I've shown you the references, and it's actually on a cardiac DVD, the direct correlation between um, between myocardial infarction and toenail clipping levels of mercury, and inverse correlation with dicosa hexanoic acid. That was published in the New England Journal of Medicine ten years ago, in two thousand and four. So then that was a direct correlation between uh, heart attack and the level of mercury found in the clippings of toenails. So that's just an example. So you look at cardiac disease and you look at cancer, there's umpteen studies that have been done looking at heavy metal exposure associated with cancer from not only mercury, but looking at uh, lead, looking at, um, uh, obviously, uh, uranium and plutonium, um, all sorts of different types of studies, uh, arsenic. So when you start looking at heavy metals and cancer and heavy metals and cardiovascular disease, which, by the way, together represent 80 percent of all deaths on the planet, on the industrialized world. And again, this is looking at all causes of death, meaning that you look at homicide, suicide, wars, natural disasters, all other disease processes. You combine everything together, eight out of 10 people dying on this planet in the industrialized world are dying from either cancer or heart disease. And so when you see that the metals are directly related to those two conditions, then something should click in our heads. We don't talk about heavy metal. This is one reason the DVD, uh, Heavy Metal Toxicity, The Hidden Killer. That's why I called it The Hidden Killer because I believe it's an endemic situation. But it's ignored, virtually, absolutely ignored by the medical profession. And in the rare circumstance that it does uh, get any credence, it's based upon only the acute toxic route, which is relatively... um, not seen and if because the body has a tendency to to you know quickly dissipate that that level and the levels will drop within 25 to 30 days so you don't see the acute toxicity but the chronic toxicity which lingers on for the rest of a person's life potentially because there's no discernible way to test it uh they basically ignore it and that's actually the point that i wanted to bring up there is a story that i want to talk about that happened since we got here my wife and I were walking out of our hotel room, and as we went by the uh, cart of one of the people that, the housekeeping people, um, yeah. she turned she looked, and she did a second, like a, a second glance, and she said, did you see that? And I said, no. And I turned around and I looked, and there was a bag of trash. It was a clear bag of trash. But what was interesting was inside that, inside that bag was used mercury light bulbs.
1: And were they, bro- were they broken?
2: They weren't broken, but they were just in a trash okay. bag, like they're right. going to be discarded. Now, here's the thing. Where are they going to go? They're just going to be dumped in the trash. There was other garbage in there, but there must have been like six or seven different bulbs that were just in the you garbage. They it, weren't it, it, broken.
1: Well, listen, I, I pick on Al Gore from time to time, but he should be made to, to pick up everybody's mercury light bulb and personally handle... Transferring it to a, to a place that is safe, not that there's any place safe for mercury, but that is a travesty, the whole environmental movement embracing light bulbs filled with the second most toxic substance on the planet.
2: Yeah, this is an this is adverse, I mean, it's actually, um, you know, you said that there's no safe place for mercury, actually there is, and I think that would be Al Gore's house
1: you <laughs> go, well said Yeah, send it to Al Gore's house Thanks a lot, Al uh, No thank you And again, you got to think more clearly About these environmental issues If you think it's all about Oh, well, we want to burn less electricity or, or produce less That's Okay, that's one thing But you don't do it at the cost of poisoning the population Especially kids Kids that go to Home Depot Where they break those bulbs And don't dispose of them According to hazardous waste guidelines from the EPA Dr. Batar and I continue advanced medicine. Check it out, medicalrewind.com. Links are up at robertscottbell.com, including the Dr. Batar's book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Stick around. we got lots more healing to go.
0: The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. Robert. Robert, He is tenacious, isn't he? Scott. He's a brave and a decent man. He's a pioneer. This message must be read in every newspaper, heard on every radio, seen on every television. The Robert Scott. The Robert Scott. All right. Hey, Dr. Batari, you you when you told that story last segment about the light bulbs there, that you mercury laden and, and how innocuous, if you will, and also Pervasive. This mercury is everywhere. I, I mentioned last hour. I was talking to Super Don about this woman I talked with. She was thirty-one. She looked like she was twenty-one, but she was really on a road to good health. She was eating so much better. She had been an alcoholic, but she still had some lingering issues, even candida. And I said immediately, you know, open your mouth. And she opened it, and sure enough, she had uh, at least two dental amalgams. They call them silver fillings, but they're fifty percent mercury. And uh-huh. you know, she knew she she knew she had been talked to about removing them. And, I, you know, I talked to her about the International Association for Oral Metal Toxicology, IOMT, and Dr. Hal Huggins. I didn't know if you had a thought in terms of finding a dentist that could remove these things safely. Uh, obviously, it's not something you want to go into lightly.
2: Well, we have a very specific protocol that um, we actually have on our website that people can actually access that tells them instructions on what they should do if they're going to get their amalgams removed. It's actually something that I presented at IOMT about seven or eight years ago at the national conference that they had. And um, I think that they need to find a biological dentist. Do not trust any dentist that says, oh, I can take them out. It doesn't matter whether they can take them out or not. It's whether they know how to take them out. And even if you know how to take them out the correct way, I don't care how good the dentist is, The thing that one has to remember is that there will be an increase in mobilization despite the uh, airtight dam, etc., etc., you will have an increase in mobilization. Remember that an amalgam filling, depending on its size, is going to be outgassing between 5 and 9 nanograms per deciliter per tooth per day. So as soon as you start to manipulate that, and actually even when you're brushing your teeth, if you're drinking a hot beverage, you are manipulating it and you'll see an exponential increase in the amount of outgassing. But when you're drilling it out or getting it out of the mouth, there's going to be an exponentially even greater outgassing which you're going to be exposed to. So you do have to find a biological dentist, and even if the biological dentist is the best one in the world, it still is not going to prevent you from being exposed from increasing your exposure, so there's right. certain things that you need to do, and that's what we go through in that little one-page.
1: Uh, I, I want to get that link, though. Yeah, where is that at drbatar.com or which which link? Because yeah. I'd love to get that posted up for everybody. I'll find yeah, it. Yeah, it's oh.
2: actually it's at drbatar.com. It's actually really for our patients because there's certain ways we're taking out the metal, so it kind of tells them if you're going to a biological dentist, this is what you need to do. But but I mean, I can summarize it in a nutshell. And the most important part is that. Within 12 hours of having your dental amalgam removed, you must get a treatment with the DMPS. If your dentist or the doctor says, we're going to give you glutathione and vitamin C, you know, that's great. It may make you feel good. It may make them feel good. It's not going to do diddly. All right? Vitamin C is not a chelator. Glutathione is not a chelator. I don't care what anybody says. If they understand even basic chemistry, they understand that these are not chelators. These are antioxidants. They're great substances, but they don't do anything to bind to mercury glutathione does uh glutathione is, uh, don't system.
1: call up and uh, don't call up and say dr Batar hates vitamin c and glutathione that's not what he's saying <laughs> I'm just yeah, i mean to i sure. use them
2: intravenously all the time but i don't use them as a chelator and that's the thing right. glutathione uh, is an antioxidant and it's uh, ubiquitous in the body it's m- most prevalently found within the hepatocytes within the within the liver cells but the thing that a person has to understand is that glutathione is a glycine, cysteine, and glutamic acid. It has a lot of self groups, and mercury likes to bind to these self groups. But glutathione, when given directly to a patient, is not going to do anything to remove uh, metals. And we've got test after test after test of patients with documented metals, documented mercury, you give them IV glutathione, it doesn't do anything. You give them DMPS, you get a huge uh, um, yield. And then when you give glutathione with uh, you give DMPS with glutathione, then you get even a greater yield. However, when you give glutathione by itself, you don't get anything. The reason you get a greater yield with glutathione and DMPS is because DMPS cleaves the mercury away from the sulfhydro groups that make up the uh, protein structure itself, that maintain the protein structure, that allow the morphological characteristics of the protein to stay um, you know, consistent with it, uh, to keep it, to keep the integrity of the protein structure, I should say. Um, that those hydro groups is where the mercury is bound to. So when you come in with glutathione, it doesn't do anything to that mercury that's bound to the self-hydro groups uh, within the protein structure. But when you come in with the chelator, it actually cleaves the mercury, and now you've got all this mercury free flowing. So then when glutathione comes in, it acts up as a mopping up agent. So actually, this analogy that I came up with with a patient loved it. This was just a, about a week ago. I was talking to somebody about this. Think of think of uh, glutathione as a, a mop. Okay. If the mop mm-hmm. is wet, if you've got a bunch of water on the ground, meaning a bunch of DMPs in the ground, that mop becomes very effective to mop up all that water. But if there's no water on the ground, okay, that mop isn't going to do anything to the ground because it's dry. It's not, it's not, it's not doing anything. You have to have the mercury free-flowing for the glutathione to actually do anything. But if the mercury is bound to the protein structures on the sulfhydro groups within the terminal end proteins or the internal structure of the protein, glutathione isn't going to do anything there. Now,
1: I don't want to run visual. out of breath
2: here, Robert, and I know we're going to come to a break here shortly. I have no idea how long we've no, got. We,
1: we, no, got, we've got about six, six plus minutes. We're good. This is the long oh, okay, segment. Good. You take your time.
2: Yeah. Okay, so one thing that I do want to point out over here that's very, very important for people to understand, when you're, doing, when you're having mercury removed from the mouth, okay, this is, a, this is a key point that you want to remember. You've got a 12-hour window when that mercury has been manipulated for you to get in there and actually bind to that free-flung mercury. If you do not, it will be mobilized and resequestered by the body somewhere, probably yeah, it, in an it, area of high... I'm sorry?
1: I was just saying, if it can't remove it, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, it, it just doesn't disappear, disappear magically, in other words. What you're saying is you've got to escort it out. I mean, that's the missing aspect of this. It's one thing, of course, we, we know to remove the physical mercury that you can can get out of your teeth, but the exposure during that point in time, I want everybody again hear what Doctor Bittar is saying. If you can't do it, doesn't mean don't do anything. We want you to do anything and everything you can, but uh, the, to use the DMPS or the yeah, in this case, would be so critical to escort it out so we don't have that resettling. You know, just you've started up and now it's just going to go right back in. Is that is that my understanding?
2: Well, it's almost the correct. Yes, when if you're going to get it if you're going to go get your mercury amalgam removed, you need to do it with DMPS. And Robert, he, here's here's the the clarification point. You said that, you know, you, if you can't do it, then you know, do the best you can. Actually, no. If you cannot get to a doctor that uses DMPS, if you can't get to IV DMPS or transdermal DMPS or any other kind of DMPS, do not get the mercury amalgam removed because you are going to increase your exposure exponentially in a very acute manner by doing the uh, removal without appropriate follow-up. And I am not saying that lightly. They are case okay. after case after case that I have had in my own clinic where people learned about mercury and the damage that it was doing, decided to go and get it removed, and they went and got it removed, and within a week, two weeks, they're now in a wheelchair, Okay, right. Doctor. So this this
1: of the dentist, of the dentists that do this, the IAOMT that are really trained more into that understanding, do they do this kind of work typically, this IV chelation, or do they have to send out mostly to other doctors that would do that? What's your experience been there?
2: Well, when I talked to IOMT, which was many years ago. Uh, they did not. And I don't think that dentists, it's not within their scope of practice, so I don't think they do that. I know some dentists have started giving vitamin C and glutathione drips, but again, that really doesn't do much. Um, it, it's, it's up to the patient to find a doctor and coordinate it. For example, patients that come to me and the dentists that I use, those dentists that I use, they know that if they're going to do any type of dental amalgam manipulation, they must do it on a morning between Monday and Thursday because my clinic's not open Friday afternoons. So they have to do it Monday through Thursday in the morning so the patient can be in my clinic by that afternoon. And on Fridays, even though we're open in the morning, usually, you know, by the time the dentist is done, we're already closed. So that's one reason. They have to do their dental procedures on my patients Monday through Thursday in the morning so the can, patient can get to our office by the end of the day. And gotcha. it's, it's just a it's just a very, very important critical component that I have found and i uh, you know, I'll I'll relate. Maybe maybe next ne- maybe next week, um, if we have enough time, mm-hmm. we'll go into exactly what happened with me personally, and I've seen this happen with so many people. But Robert, you've probably heard the same number of stories of people that had toxicity issues that went got their mercury removed, and I'm sure some of them have gotten better. But a yes. lot of cases, and I'm not talking maybe one or two. I'm talking like dozens right. upon dozens of cases where patients actually got worse. And then they don't understand. They're like, well, I did this because I was told this is what I need to do, and now I got worse, and now right. I'm in a wheelchair, and what do I do? Well, it's because that mercury was, you know, it, it's like it's seeping out, and you go into it, Think of it as a dripping faucet, okay? You've got this mercury that's dipping out into your body, and then you decide, oh, I'm going to go fix it. And how am I going to fix it? Well, I'm going to take this plumbing out. So you go there and take the plumbing out, but nobody turned off the water, and boom, you've got all of a sudden a flood situation. And that's what's happened to the body. Right. That was a good analogy, wasn't it?
1: No, you're do, you're nailing the analogies tonight, Doctor Rattar. I have to give a, give you credit for that. Props. Uh, I, you know, listen, I don't understand a thing you're saying because I haven't slept in days, but I, I think it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, actually, it's sensational. <laughs> it is because oh, uh, I'm telling you, Don, get him off the line.
2: Get him off the live. live of take feed me though, out,
1: Take me away. <laughs> I'm telling you what you said is so important because so many people do get it uh, you know removed but not don't have that other factor that you've just emphasized so strongly so directly and I am curious honestly I want to find out and I'll have to reach out to some IAOMT dentists how much their their organization is emphasizing what you presented all those years ago because if they're missing that I would want you to go back in there again to remind them because they're they're a good group they do understand uh, metal toxicology. They're not, you know, they're not headed in their approach. So I just want to make sure that they're emphasizing it as much as you just did.
2: Well, Dr. Richard Fisher, who used to be, he was a past president of IOMT, and was a good friend. I haven't talked to him in years, but um,
1: maybe we can reach out yeah, to him. Yeah, um,
2: he was uh, actually. I think he was. Yeah, he was the president actually when I testified in front of Congress. But you know what happens, Robert? And there's new people that come in. There's new leadership, just like what you said with Cam and this. A lot of political things that happen, and really sure. the information, the transmission of that information becomes a secondary or a tertiary thing. The primary thing is who's going to be in control and how much money they're making, et cetera, et cetera, and the entire premise upon which the organization was built is completely lost. And so I don't know whether IOMT is still uh, you know, talking about those types of things or not, but I know the dentists that I presented to, they still use that same protocol, and especially the dentists that I've got that I refer my patients to, they, they have to, otherwise I won't refer my patients to them.
1: Excellent. Well, great information tonight on Advanced Medicine, Medical Rewind with Dr. Rasha Bittar. One more segment here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, Maybe uh, we'll go back to childhood and talk about some of the stories we heard and how they apply to the WHO and the CDC and flu shot season. Stick around for that and a whole lot more. We'll be right back.
0: The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Well, I can't say I've been fully conscious for the entire two hours of the show today, but uh, Dr. Batar ably and capably carried me through the second hour, and I appreciate that. And I, I encourage everybody to go to any of the archives that you can get online. They're all over the place, including through our syndicator GCN and Natural News Radio, as well as Medical Rewind to get, go directly to Dr. Batar. And, and, and the last segment alone, in his response to the question of mercury amalgams, removing the, the fillings, what you should do, that is is so very important. I urge you to you know send that around, tell folks about it, give them a listen if they're going to have those things removed. What to do now, Doctor uh The the, the age old story of the boy who cried wolf. Did you, did you have that in childhood as well? Absolutely. So it's one of those universal. I think it crosses a lot of cultures. You know that that's one of those things that just kind of goes around the world and people hear of that context of, you know, don't cry wolf because if you really if there really is a wolf. No one's going to pay attention to you. They won't believe you. And I'm referring now to the bird flu and the latest incarnation of it on Time.gov, Time Magazine. I think it is, not .gov. What is it? Docs.com. See, that's, I'm tired. The new bird flu outbreak. Should you be worried? Now they're going to H5N8. They say they've identified it on a duck farm in England, and they're going to slaughter 6,000 chickens or ducks or whatever they're going to. I mean, based on what? An antibody test based on a PCR analysis. I mean, this is just so insane and they they keep they keep amping and ramping it up because we're just not listening to them.
2: Yeah, and I think that it's not going to fix their issue because I don't think if anybody is listening to them at this point, I think they're listening to them with uh, jaded ears now, I almost had jaded eyes. but jaded ears now, because yes. they're they've heard enough of this ridiculous um, association. I mean, it, it, you know, four years ago, even when we started the radio show, Robert, the awareness yep. in the public between then and now is so much greater, and if it didn't work in 2010 with the bird flu and with the H1N1 and people laughed and wouldn't take it, do you think that there's any less awareness or more awareness? And obviously we know that there's much more awareness now and it's just not going to work. That's one reason they're mandating these laws. Now they're taking away the religious exemptions. They're trying to um, make it mandatory for people to take their vaccines. And if not, there's now threat in certain States, you know, they're they're going to take away your child. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And, they can push it but i think that at a certain point that line's going to be drawn and you know that's what revolutions are based on
1: right they w- there will be pushback and you're you're one of those living examples in your life with stories we've told over the years uh how you, you must be belligerent in defense of your rights you cannot be milquetoast about this or they will run rough shot over you and they will throw syringes at you and your children and you know, enough is enough. And they're they're going to keep trying to ratchet up the fear. But as I say, the boy who cried wolf is something that is occurring. This scenario in the public because uh, the flu shots—they're just—they're just people aren't as much I think r- relying or trusting because the word is out that they they don't work and they do have mercury.
2: Yeah, it's it's some something that um, each individual has to decide at what point will they no longer tolerate this and it's a personal belief system you know somebody breaks into your house and comes through your door what are you willing to do to defend your children your your family Uh, some people are willing to do whatever it takes other people are are not willing to do whatever it takes and that it just comes down to that type of personal belief and what your own values are and I think for those people that would protect their family at all costs, there is no other option but to consider somebody giving your child or yourself or your you know spouse a vaccine uh, as a very violent form of assault. There's just no other yes. way that you can look at it. In fact, in the medical profession, if a doctor treats an individual without having consent, you have just assaulted them. And that's one reason when a, when a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle brings a child into the emergency room, unless they have a power of attorney showing from the parents that they have temporary custody of the child and they can bring the child to the emergency room. A doctor isn't going to touch them. Now, why is it that a doctor trying to take care of a child or a doctor, you know, doing trying to save somebody's life, that's considered assault if you lay hands on them. But giving somebody a vaccine without permission is not. And this comes back to a story that Dr. Tempany sent to me in North Carolina where a mother who had been very, very adamant about not giving her child vaccines. The, the doctor did, and then she complained to the medical board, and medical board came back and said it's not a big deal, and didn't. Do, there was no um, punishment for right. the doctor.
1: Yeah, exactly. By the way, there's a group in Mississippi, parents getting together to overturn the, 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 the prohibition of religious exemption, MPVR. For Mississippi Parents for Vaccine Rights.org, MPBR.org. Check it out. Thanks, Doctor Batar. Thank you to everybody out there for being part of this, the place where the power to heal is most definitely yours. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Show. Scott Bell Show.